Welcome to the Making After School Cool podcast, the link between research, practice, and theory for those interested in the activities youth are involved with during non-school hours. The Making After School Cool podcast is produced by Case for Kids, a division of Harris County Department of Education. And I'm your host, Mike Wilson. Teenagers can be a particularly challenging age group to work with. Juliet Starbuck, an educational psychologist and trainer states, if youth workers and educators take time to recognize what is going on in the adolescent head, they then would find it easier to support students through school. Studies have shown that this age group thrives best in a nurturing environment. Therefore, youth workers and educators should use a variety of instructional methods, which encourage students to think for themselves. By keeping preteens and teenagers' brains active, it will help them develop and strengthen their neural pathways that are vital for long-term learning. To discuss the topic of teaching the adolescent brain is my guest, Dr. Lori Desentals, who is an assistant professor at Butler University, where she teaches both undergraduate and graduate programs in the College of Education. Lori was an assistant professor at Marion University in Indianapolis, where she founded the Educational Neuroscience Symposium. Currently, the symposium is in its eighth year and now sponsored by Butler University College of Education. Because of her work, Lori has been able to attract the foremost experts in the field of educational neuroscience, trauma, and adversity. Lori continues her work in the pre-K classroom and is currently co-teaching in fifth grade and working with St. Mary's Early Childhood Center in Indianapolis. She has met with hundreds of school districts across the country, equating to more than 60,000 educators. Good day, Dr. Dachantel. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for taking some time. I know it's a busy time for you, so I really appreciate you squeezing me in. My first question is, what inspired your interest in neuroscience? That is a real loaded question. <laughs> I, there's a lot there. Um, I, I am a former special education teacher and school counselor years ago. And so as I began to really look underneath the behaviors of our children and adolescents, I learned that all behavior is really driven by the nervous system. And so we misunderstand in education. I think we are very cognitive heavy. We focus often, not I want to not generalize or not be specific, but we do focus on behaviors. And what we are learning through developmental, affective social neuroscience is that the behavior is only a signal. So that's really what intrigued me um, as I moved into this work because the behavior is an indicator that the nervous system is really struggling. And we know that um, specifically adolescents are going through the second greatest time of nervous system change. And we misunderstand that by only addressing behaviors. You know, it's interesting because I actually started my educational career years ago in special education as well. And the first group of students I was working with were um, 16 to 21 year olds, those with severely mental, I call it a different abilities. It took me a while, but then finally something clicked and it was like, it's not the way that I'm teaching them. I have to figure out the way they understand. Um, and so I kind of changed my approach on how we were doing our daily assignments and it made it easier not only to work with that group of students, but to work with other students uh, as well. Absolutely. 
In a recent article you wrote in Edutopia entitled Huge Emotions and the Adolescent Brain, you suggested to educators to use clips from the movie Turning Red to explore with students the ways adolescents change the brain. Can, uh, can you give a brief description of the, the article? So I was very intrigued by Turning Red, which um, really portrays an eighth grade young woman, um, she may, who comes from a Canadian Chinese cultural heritage. And the movie I thought just did an excellent job sharing how that middle school into, you know, high school, how that development occurs. And it really shared with us how huge emotions feel in the body because the emotional part of the brain in adolescence is developed. And we are sensing and feeling creatures who think. We are not thinking creatures who feel. We feel and sense our way through the world. And in the adolescent years, that is really um, how we do life. Because right here behind our eyebrows <clears throat> is the prefrontal cortex. And I'm oversimplifying and being very schematic for anyone who loves this neuroscience work. So forgive me for that. But this part of the brain does not finish developing until mid to late 20s, early 30s. So we are emotionally reactive and appropriately so in those adolescent years. And so our peers become such an important part of our lives in that time as well. In um, it just, I thought Disney Pixar did a wonderful job sharing the transitional time of May and her friends and of how those big emotions can really just hijack our ability to think and to problem solve and to be creative and really to do life and to do school. You know, it's interesting because I, I'm a big movie fan and uh, I, at times after the movies, I do analyze it and my daughters and I um, have two teenage daughters. So the things that you've written, some of the things you've said, it's like I see it firsthand. <laughs> and so after movies, we uh, we do kind of sit down and we talk about it and we talk about, you know, what part of it we're related to, what parts didn't make a lot of sense. And so I'm glad that you actually used a movie because I think especially a lot of the animation movies have some life lessons in it and um, talking with kids to get them to better understand some of the things they're going through as well as adults. I think it's a very good uh, vehicle. So I really appreciate you highlighting that particular film. Oh, thank you. Why should educators, youth workers, after-school professionals, anyone working with kids be aware that adolescence is the second greatest time of brain development, which often causes chaotic emotional swing for middle schoolers as well as high schoolers? So any of us, as you just stated, you know, any of us who sit beside children in adolescence, and let's speak specifically about, you know, that adolescent period of time, for the reasons I mentioned earlier, is that we misunderstand um, that oftentimes those behaviors that look defiant or oppositional, or they look disrespectful, um, aggressive. I'm not excusing those behaviors, but we have to understand what lies underneath them. And so in the adolescent years, not only is the brain going through the second greatest time of development, so it's wiring up, it's, it's pruning away 
what we no longer are using. So we have about 86 to 100 billion neurons and one neuron, a brain cell means nothing. It's the connections between those cells. So in those adolescent years, the brain is preparing for young adulthood by specializing and being efficient um, through pruning away what we no longer are using or needing and preparing that um, that brain for young adulthood. So, you know, in the mix of all of that, we can see, um, we saw specifically this year, because I am in the classroom two days a week, I was in seventh grade this year, and we saw a significant social loss um, in our children and on, in our adolescents coming back after a couple of years of a significant pandemic. So that social loss is a part of the adolescent development and Turning Red showed that so well um, that, you know, out we co-regulate with our peers and our kids lost that for a couple of years. And, um, and so I think this was perfect timing for the film and also for us as parents, as educators, social workers, counselors, office staff, food service providers, transportation. I mean, our bus drivers have this amazing ability to connect with kids and, and to be first responders and, and to really tap into the environments that our children and adolescents are from. So this work is for all of us. And that's why I agree with what you said. This, this film is for adults as much as it is for our kids. Which is a pretty good segue to my next question. You stated that it takes a calm adult to calm a child. And it's extremely important that educators be in touch with their own emotions. So in your opinion, how should adults respond to youth who question authority as they develop their own identity? It's such a great question, Mike, and I really appreciate you asking me. And what we're learning now is that behavior management is not about kids. And that's loaded. Um, so you may have many listeners that disagree with that, but behavior management is about me. It's about me as a mom. It's about me as a teacher, as an administrator, um, because we know how contagious emotions are. And oftentimes we as adults, um, you know, really unintentionally can jump into a power struggle or a conflict, not wanting to do that, but because of the emotional overreactivity that our kids are showing up with, it's easy for us to personalize that. And so, you know, what we now are learning, and I knew this intuitively as a mom, each time that I found some groundedness in myself, when I took some deep breaths, when I was able to step away and, and take care of myself and then come back to Andrew or Sarah or Reagan, who are now my three young adult children, we could talk, we could be logical, we could reason, but in the heat of the moment, nothing good came from that. And so whether it's in the classroom or you know in our homes, it really does take a calm, um, aware, regulated adult to calm a dysregulated student. And this is, we tend to just kind of go for compliance or obedience, but not a sustainable behavioral change. We wanna model the behaviors and teach those behaviors um, to our kids. 
and um, that emotional hijack that happens in the adolescent years makes it really challenging. So I know this is not an easy shift, but learning and reflecting back on how I would have been a different parent and I would have been a different educator had I known what I know today about the adult nervous system. Now, I did read in one of your works, I don't I can't remember if it was a, a blog or um, it was one of the resources you have, and you stated how uh, art plays a role in helping young people express their feelings and emotions. Can you explain that a little bit further? Yes, yeah, so when we talk about the nervous system, I'm also referring to our sensory systems, because as I mentioned, we are sensing and feeling creatures. So anytime that we can meet our kids where they are, and this is about art. So through the sensory system. So if I can draw how I feel, if I can journal how I feel, if I can use my breath, if I can use um, movement, um, you know, just taking a five minute walk, um, creating, you know, it's what, what we're using our sensation word walls. So we have our kids choose a sensation, hot, sweaty, open, knotted, teary, um, stuck, numb. Those sens and then we have the kids draw those sensations and give those sensations lines and colors and shapes. When we do that, we help dampen down the stress response systems. And when you can take how you're experiencing something outside of your body and put it in a nice container, take it from the inside and put it in a container outside, it feels, that feels comforting. So there's growing research on how art is a very calming practice, grounding practice for all of us, not just our kids, but you know, for all of us, whether we love to cartoon, you know, whether we love to use, um, digital art, it, it, it just is a really wonderful way to, you know, find that homeostasis, that balanced nervous system again. No, I'm really pleased to hear that. I, I've always liked art, you know, as a stress reliever, uh, calms me down a little bit. So I've always done it. And as my kids have become older, I'm noticing that they're doing it a lot. Um, here in Texas, we're having a heat wave, so it's, it's hard to be outside and be extremely active. And a lot of times when I do come home for work, uh, the girls have created something. They pay, they love painting and uh you know they just do it and then once they're finished you know i'll ask because i'm curious like what inspired you to to do this you know they're all different some of them are cartoons some of it are landscape you know what were you thinking when you did this you know sometimes they really verbally can't express it but um you know they will say well i woke up this morning and uh you know i don't know i was feeling kind of some way and then they just started doing this and this was this is what come out of it so it is refreshing to hear um how art plays a role in regards to how kids express themselves and their feelings and um how it sort of alters their mood um if people want to get access to your resources i found a lot of stuff that you've done and i, I applaud you you've done some really great work what's the best way for them to get in touch with you Probably the best way is to go through my website, which is revelationsineducation.com. So I am very intentional. No one wants to hear someone talk and then and then leave and say, okay, well, what do I do with all of this? 
So, um, and, and that's a real pet peeve of mine. So knowing what we are, and again, I love what Dr. Bruce Perry shares. He says, we're like on inch two of like a 10 mile journey when it comes to knowing about the nervous system. And so, but we do know that these sensory practices that are on my website, articles, um, focused attention practices, we know breath and movement, you know, the ways for teachers, for parents to really use transitions procedures and routines at home and at school. I just have literally the website is filled with resources. So I think that, and then you can contact me through the website as well. Sounds great. Um, before we go, probably as this upcoming school year starts to, to unfold, I'll, I'll definitely try to reach back out to you. Um, Cause like you said, uh, last year was sort of the first year we had students come back from the pandemic. Um, and then this year we're expecting, you know, everybody to somewhat go back to normal, but this is a new normal. So I'll definitely reach out to you again. Um, but before we go, do you have any final comments? So I, I would say this before I leave is that when any of us go through adversity and trauma, it changes the way we feel, the way we think, the way we perceive and learn. And, and so I would, I would say to the adults that sit beside children, really be aware of how that behavior is communicating something that we might be missing. There might be something that we can tap into, tune into, attend to, that if we're only looking at the behavior, we might miss. So um, I and I speak from a mom's heart and from an educator's heart when I say that, because it's so easy to follow our own agenda and realize that, you know what, this isn't this isn't about me. You know, it's really about how my child, how my teen is experiencing a condition or a situation. Awesome. Well, Lori, thank you so much for being my guest on today's episode of the Making F School podcast. I really and truly appreciate you taking some time to visit with us. Uh, thank you. So, thank you so much for having me, Mike. Making after School cool. My pleasure. As always, I want to thank our listeners for joining us today, where our topic focused on teaching with the understanding of an adolescent brain. Please join us for future episodes as we continue to explore issues relevant to the out-of-school time field.